Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. All right, so we are in a series called Luke Warm. You're in week number four of Luke Warm, but don't worry, you don't have to be all caught up. I'll catch you up because today we're going to get to what I think is kind of like the precipice, the, the goal, the, the ultimate goal of what Jesus, I think, is trying to say about being lukewarm and how we're not supposed to be lukewarm. Um, and so the definition for lukewarm for this series is this, that lukewarm is a reflection of the environment, not the source. Uh, that we as followers of Christ are meant to not be lukewarm, meaning that our temperature is not determined by our circumstances, but by who we're connected to. And so most of the time, we, if, we, if we're not watching, if we're not intentional and on purpose about how we stay connected to the source, we end up being lukewarm. We end up letting the world determine our temperature. And what we're going to see today is that there's two different options. You can be hot or cold. And I think Jesus is actually looking for us to eventually be cold. That's the ultimate goal. Let's take a look in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. It says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Pretty pretty vivid imagery there. Uh, I, I chose this translation because it says vomit, because it says vomit because most of the translation some would say spit but it's not quite it doesn't really encapsulate what that how that word shows up over and over again it shows up over and over again as spew or vomit meaning a very violent it's not a spit take from a sitcom right it's not just kind of spit but like he is disgusted with lukewarm because lukewarm changes with its circumstances but hot or cold is connected to the source hot coming from the hot springs it's warm it's refreshing last week we talked about the purification properties that God has called us to have but ultimately what I think he wants in this moment this is what we're going to talk about today is the refreshing of a cold drink he wants us as the church as Christians to be a refreshing cold drink right the, the imagery is of a, of a drink and very rarely were there hot drinks coffee has not yet been discovered when this is written Tea has not quite made it from China over to this area as far as we can tell. There is one very rare instance where they drank mold wine that might have been warmed up. That's the only instance. So most likely, he's coming in from a hot environment. He's showing up to your house and saying, I need something cold. Jesus is asking us to be refreshing, right? We taught it a lot of times growing up. We taught about being hot. We'll be on fire for Christ. But in this context, these scriptures, I actually think he's wanting us to be cold. I think the ultimate goal, like, he is good for a purpose. But in this imagery, I think he's saying, no, no, I want you to be cold. I want you to be refreshing. I want when people come to you, they go, ah. You know what I mean? Like, that was, it was good to be around you. It was good to, to take in all that is you, that we are called to be refreshing. And in Laodicea, they would have understood the imagery. Laodicea would have understood that there was a town right next to them that had natural hot springs and how wonderful it was to bathe in those hot springs. There's a town next to them that had nice cold water coming down from the mountains. But then they had lukewarm water and it was disgusting. And the church of Laodicea is a perfect example for what I think the American church can be at times. The American church at times has had decided us, me and you, we have determined our temperature based on our circumstances. 
when I was growing up, church in the 90s, uh, everybody knew what we were against. Do you remember that? Some of you are old like me. Everybody knew what we were against. We, we were legislating righteousness because our temperature, our anger, our outrage was so uh, against all of what culture was. People barely knew what we were for. Like, we, we followed Jesus so that we could promote the things that we hated. That's basically the only reason we did it sometimes. And it was not refreshing at all. It was not a refreshing environment that the, the church culture communicated like, ah, ugh, we don't like and we, we should have. And we start trying to force our beliefs on other people. And I don't think that's what Jesus wants because that temperature was set by what was happening in the White House or what was happening in the economy, not what was happening in who Jesus had called us to be. So lukewarm, if we're not going to be lukewarm, we're going to be refreshing. We're going to be a group of people who when they walk near us, when they come in to visit us, when, when a group of people who don't know Jesus show up, they're going to go, I don't know if I agree with you, but man, it was good to be around you. It was good to feel and, and experience all that is you. That, that's who we're called to be as Christians, followers of Christ. And, and it's, it, it shouldn't be shocking to communicate this, but it is. Like the, when I first got on staff at Life Church, I was on staff at Life Church years ago. And we actually are a network church that have our roots in life church culture. And so our core values come from life church. And so our heartbeat comes from that very moment. And, and when I first walked in, there was this core value. And this was the core value. We will laugh hard, loud, and often. Nothing is more fun than serving God with people you love. Seems simple enough, but it was shocking, right? The first time, like, we can laugh at church? Like that was a that, like I don't know about I don't know what you grew up in maybe you didn't grow up in church but places that I went a lot of times you didn't laugh okay all right if you were laughing you were laughing at somebody it wasn't good it wasn't healthy laughter and if you were laughing somebody was looking at you like I'm sorry he died on the cross for your sins what are you laughing about this is a serious holy moment like you move just the wrong way with just too much of a smirk something you've been did you come in here drinking something? What are you smiling for? This, ain't, this is church. This ain't smile place. This is not a happy place. We're here to, to be somber and holy for a moment, right? That was, that was the feeling. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, laugh hard, loud, and often. Because nothing is more fun than serving God with people you love. You know, that's right. We, we were, life, the scripture says that our life is but a mist. Like, we get a brief moment. And God did something for us and gave us something. So maybe we should enjoy it. Maybe there's a gift in life that we should enjoy, and maybe part of that is recognizing that that, that aspect, that mindset is, is refreshing to just be able to, I don't know, let your face know that you're happy, right? Just, just to, to show up, and it's just a moment where we can be refreshing. We can be a place where it's like, you know, they don't have to go, you know, that kind of, what was that? They don't have to have that feeling. They can have the, ah moment that Jesus can come to us and have the ah, moment here's what's crazy about it to me uh, as Christians and that we get to this place and how easy it is to get to that place of like just uh, bitterness and anger and like all this stuff it's like we know the end we know the end we like know he's got to figure it out somehow some way he's going to make it all all right and yet sometimes it may, if not most of the time it seems like Christians are like the most angry anxious people what is that about like, no, 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 we, we win the game. Like, th it's, it's going to work out. Like, we've got it all figured out. Like, I don't understand why we're, no, but I was watching CNN or Fox News, and I found out. I'm sorry, the, the world doesn't dictate my temperature. I'm, I don't, I'm not letting you put anxiety on me. I don't care what the economy is doing. I don't care what the White House is doing. I know what my God is doing. And so I'm going to be a place of refreshing. And here's, here's what I think is the most 
the biggest example of what refreshing looks like, and it's found in Galatians chapter 5, and it's called the fruits of the Spirit. This is what I think is most refreshing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If I walk into a place and there feels like there's just like some love, I mean, just some joy in the room, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially in the world today, if I could just walk in and there was just a, just a touch of peace, just a little bit of kindness, some gentleness, just, just sprinkle in a little bit. You're like, whew. I mean, just listening to the news and listening to the radio, listening to the world, like just, just a little sprinkle of somebody being like, you know what, we disagree, but we can, we can still have a conversation. I'm like, oh, peace. That's what I'm talking about. And, and the church historically has sometimes been the worst at it. And what's the issue is, is that we say we have it, but we're faking it, right? Like, it, 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 it's supposed to be refreshing, and we talk about, like, talk about the love of Jesus and how much joy we have. Our, the joy of the Lord is our strength, but our face is, like, not joyful. You know what I'm saying? Like, joy of the Lord is my strength. Like, no, no, mm. then you're not strong at all because something's wrong. Like, tell your face that you're joyful, right? That, that, was, that was kind of what, what, we, what we exude, right? We're fake. And if you've been around for this series, you know I hate LaCroix, okay? There's nothing good about it. It's not joyful. It is not refreshing, okay? This is the best example of the church. It look, I mean, the design work on the can is beautiful. It's passion fruit. It should. It sounds delicious. I mean, it just seems like this is going to be the best thing. That's what the church is. The church sometimes is like, we got the joy of the Lord, but they walk in and it's LaCroix. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Hold up, hold up. Y'all need to hear, y'all need to hear how, how much this, hold up, hold up. Okay, that sounds good, doesn't it? You hear the fizz? Y'all got that too, didn't you? Look, oh, we ain't done yet. Oh. Y'all can put that, that, that could go to a movie soundtrack right there. That was some good sound right there. It sounds so good, right? You're like, oh. It's so hot. I've been working out in the yard, and my wife is like, hey, you want some refreshing? <laughs> I ain't about divorce, but if my wife did not tell me, <laughs> we would, I mean, we might live in different houses for a little while until we work things out. If she handed me this, say, here's something refreshing, and it turned out to be LaCroix, there's going to be problems, <laughs> like real serious, like, ah. Just, mm, let me get a sip of that. Uh, I, have so, like, I have to do this three times, okay? <laughs> I gotta, and I'm not exaggerating how disgusting it is. I have empathy for my kids when I make them eat vegetables because of LaCroix. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're like legit gagging. I get it. This isn't fake. That stuff is nasty. I'm, I, I, it is his passion fruit. Whatever the opposite of passion is what this is, all right? <laughs> Some of y'all have been coming up to me, too, and being like, hey, LaCroix ain't that bad. I'm sorry. Someone actually had the audacity to be like, I hated it at first, too. Why did you keep drinking it? What happened to you? What childhood trauma existed in your life that you're like, this pain is so good, it's going to be good eventually. After I finish this case of LaCroix, it's going to taste good eventually. Like, it is just... Not good. It's bad. It's a bad time. Here's how I know it's bad. Here's what happened. 
I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure, that they have not made another can of LaCroix in 20 years. Okay? Because nobody's drinking it. Here's what we do. We go to the, we go to the grocery store. We pick up that, ca- that case of LaCroix and go, because it's, it's just been sitting there. It's just been sitting there. We put it in our cart, and we put our pinkies up while we're driving that cart. Just, okay? If we see anybody we know, we're just like, I got, you know, I, don't, I just like LaCroix. No, have you tried the coconut? It is fantastic. It is the best. Yeah. And the person knows that you don't like it, and you know they don't like it, but they got to be like, I know. I have a case in my fridge, too. And it sits there. It sits there for ages. You know how I know it sits there? It's because I didn't buy this can of LaCroix. I didn't steal it. Don't worry. This came from the church fridge. The church fridge. I don't know if y'all been around church at all. Church fridges are fair game. Anything in there, somebody just come take. I don't put anything in there with any trust that it's going to be there. I don't have to put my name on it. I don't care what I do. There's no trust that something that ends up in the church fridge is going to stay in the church fridge. This thing's been there for probably years. (laughs) No one has touched it. I am suffering through this as an illustration today. No one has touched this thing. I'm pretty sure there's not an expiration date on these things because you can't tell the difference between when it's good and when it's bad. It's all the same. It's just absolute garbage water, and it's supposed to be refreshing. It's supposed to be like, ah, and look, and look, look, it looks so good. It looks so good, like, ah, so hot. I want to drink, and no. And sometimes that's what the church has been. Sometimes we've been that, that group of people who, who look like we have a thing, but we don't. Like, like the fruit of the Spirit. We, we look like, I don't know if I can do this. I really don't. I really don't know. We look like we got love. But they go to drink. I'm not doing it anymore. All right. They <laughs> can't. I'm done. All right. That's as much as y'all are getting of that illustration. They go to get a drink, and it's, it's supposed to taste like love. They come to us, and it's supposed to taste like love. And it, it came with conditions, meaning, meaning it was utility. My love was conditional based on what you could do for me. Like how, how good you made me look, how good you made me feel. Sometimes love was really just lust. And it, I loved you as long as you were good for me, as long as you made me feel good. Sometimes the church looked at you and, and expressed love based on what you were wearing. Sometimes we as Christians say we've got love, and we're presenting like we're refreshing, but really it's a facade. It's fake. It's LaCroix. Sometimes we said we had, said we had joy, but our faces told the truth. We didn't have joy. We were just cranky. You know, like I don't, we just yelled. Like, we, I, I, sometimes I would go to church, and, and my grandfather was really good. We'd have a guest speaker, and I would go, and it'd be like, why is he mad at me? I didn't do nothing to him. And he's just yelling at me the whole story. Why are you yelling? Why are you mad? What, what happened to joy? What happened to like being determined that like God is good and we can talk like we have joy and preach like we have joy, like God really is that good. Sometimes we, we said we had love and joy, but the joy was really not good news. We called it the gospel, which means good news. And you make it sound like it's not good news. How is that possible? By definition, and we don't, it wasn't joy. We t- we, our joy was determined based on maybe what we take, what we drink, what we smoke. And it was conditional happiness, not joy. Joy isn't determined by its circumstances. Sometimes we said we had peace. It wasn't peace. It was just bickering. Those weren't prayer requests. That was gossip. <laughs> we said we have peace. You know, said, come, come let the church pray for you. We're, let the peace of that passes understanding. Oh, bless her heart. And everybody who raised in church knows what I'm saying. Now, that's a cuss word. You say bless her heart. You don't mean bless her heart. 
You mean, mm, yeah, you mean cuss words. We didn't, oh, we didn't cuss. We weren't going to cuss, but we'd sure curse people. We said we had peace, and there were, the, the world is looking for, for something refreshing. And they come to us, and we're saying, all right, I've got, I got this. I got some patience for you. Let's just, hey, let's just relax. Oh, no, it wasn't patience. It was complacency. We stopped having hope. We just gave up. We just, we just checked our ticket to heaven and didn't worry about anything else. It wasn't patience. We just gave up hope. We, we had patience for that family member that we wanted to get saved. We just gave up hope on them. We, sometimes we said that we had kindness, and it wasn't kindness. It was a facade. It was more that we needed from you. It wasn't goodness. It was social pressure. And the reason we knew it was social pressure because we were good to those who dressed a certain way, looked a certain way, or benefited us, but how we treated our waiters and our waitresses determined that it wasn't goodness in us. It was a facade of goodness, and it only was good when it benefited us. It wasn't faithfulness. This, this definition this week, I was like wrestling with the idea of faithfulness, and I don't know why it's this simple and why it's taking me this long to make it this simple. Faithfulness seems like just a really, really church term. But faithfulness is just simply, for us as Christians, reliability. You know how many Christians in times past that we could rely on that would do what they said they would do? And I, I, this isn't true for everybody, but if a business tells me they're a Christian business, I am less likely to use their services. Not because there's anything wrong with Jesus and not because there's anything wrong with doing that, but in times past, my experience is using Christian as a label is just an excuse to do bad work. Just an excuse to get some grace. Well, I just, Jesus, I know your plumbing's not working, but Jesus, and I love Jesus, and I follow Jesus, but like, I need to not have leaking pipes. I don't, I don't, I don't need to know about Jesus right now. I need the job done. I need reliability. I need you to say and do what you said you were going to do. And many of us are like, ah, but grace. No, 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 that's fake. That's LaCroix. That's showing up, and it's just, it's so, it's so flaky and disgusting. It wasn't gentleness. Someone showed up with their trauma and their pain, and we could have been gentle, but we told them to just pick themselves up by their bootstraps. Just work harder. We didn't listen. There was no gentleness. There was no patience. There was no self-control. We said we had self-control, but we, at least growing up, we had self-control. We didn't drink, cuss, or smoke. That's what we had self-control in. Everything else was fair game, okay? We did everything else full board, how we ate, how we talked, how we lived. Everything else was frivolous, without self-control, without temperance, without any sort of anything other than those three things are it. Everything else is full. Oh, no, no, maybe there's a lot of things I can do, but self-control tells me not everything is good for me. Not everything is the best thing to do. Maybe it's worth making some sacrifices to reach the most people. And it's so frustrating. And this is why Jesus is saying, I will spew you out. of my, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because it's one thing to be honest and to say, hey. And my wife says, hey, do you want some LaCroix? I'm like, no, thank you. That's it. We're done. It's simple. Thank you for asking. I don't know why you wasted our money on that water. Like that's, We could have got it donated because no one's drinking it. We could have gone to somebody else's house with a pinky up. You didn't have to buy this, but thank you for letting me know what it was. But if my wife offers me refreshment, if my wife offers me water and tells me it's refreshing and then gives me LaCroix, it's a whole different ballpark. And that's what we've been doing as a church. We think we're good. We think we got it. And Jesus is saying, no. Here's what he tells, tells the church of Laodicea, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. 
Jesus is telling us, me and you, the idea that we can put on a facade of something and try to present something is worse off. It's way worse than just the honesty to say, God, I need help. I'm struggling with with love. I'm struggling with self-control. To put on the facade is so much more dangerous. It's like God is saying, I will spit you out of my mouth if you try to pretend to be water when you're really LaCroix. I will will be sick. I will be nauseous. I will vomit because you saying you're one thing, pretending to be refreshing, I will send people your way and you're going to ruin the taste of what's good to that that person, to that community. There is a bitter taste on what it means to be Christians because we have represented something that we didn't have. We said we had a product that we didn't own. We said that we had something that we, we brought love and we brought grace and we brought all these things to people and we didn't do it. And it's totally okay if I'm wrestling. The authenticity of what Jesus is saying is like, if you don't have it, that's fine, but don't pretend. Don't, don't fake it till you make it because you're hurting people in the process. Not in this area. This is not the area to pretend. You know what's refreshing? If someone would just be honest about it. It's just like, hey, <laughs> I'm trying to love. But I'm a work in progress. Oh, my gosh, that's a good drink. That's a good drink. Hey, I'm, try- I'm working on patience. I haven't started praying for it because that's a dangerous prayer. But I am working on pa- um, patience. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm working on it. That, my friends, is refreshing. And Jesus is asking us to be refreshing, be the group of people that is working towards the fruits of the Spirit. And now, I wrestled this week, and I was like, kind of like, ah, this is, yeah, this is what we need to be. And I was like, but how do we be that? I feel it was really cruel if I were just like, go be good. You're like, oh, wait, how, wait, hold on, Jared. If you could tell me how, that'd be fantastic because I've been trying. I've been trying to do love and patience and self-control, but like, mm, I'm not doing it. And I, I think I figured out the trick. I think I figured out the thing because there's one thing that's really crucial to the fruits of the Spirit that wasn't on that list. There's one thing that I think is, is the foundational thing. It's the nutrients of the ground of the tree that bears the fruit. It is the most essential thing. It might be the sunlight, the nutrients, the dirt. It might be everything there is to produce that fruit. And it's not on the list, which means to me, I think it's the foundation of what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to be refreshing. And that thing is understanding grace. Understanding grace that leads you to gratitude will change your life. I I mean, really understanding, really understanding the moment you've been given, the grace of God that has been placed on your life, really getting that is the foundation, in my opinion, the the, the nutrients, it's the dirt, it's the sunlight, it's everything that the fruit of the Spirit needs to produce is understanding grace that will lead you to gratitude, understanding that you have been given a life that you didn't earn, and you are loved by a God when you didn't deserve it understanding that grace that puts you in a place where you're like, whew, we get to do this. I was thinking about like the most refreshing people I know, like the people I want to be around, the people that are like, yeah, that, that person, I want to spend more time with them. I'm thinking about those people. Those people are grateful. Those people, the, the, the core essential of all the fruits of the Spirit they have, the root thing is they're grateful. They wake up thinking, I got one life to live. I'm going to live it. I think Paul would argue the same thing. Paul writes Galatians, so he tells what the fruit of the spirits are, fruits of the spirit are. Paul writes in Philippians, where he's he's writing from prison, and he says, "I know what it looks like to be content in all things. I know what it looks like to be content in all things. I know what that looks like to have everything I need and to be in prison. I'm good." And so Paul's telling us something, and here's what he says, and here's where I think grace is the foundation for who Paul is. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses nine. This is him writing again. For I am the least of the apostles, 
unworthy to be called an apostle because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Like understanding the grace of God to a place where we really get it. Like, I don't, oh man, this is good. Thank you. Like, I got life, right? I'm I'm not talking about grace that leads to like a spoiled brat. Because some of us understand grace to the degree that's not all the way to gratitude. There's a grace in which you think something was free and it didn't cost anybody anything. There's a grace where we think, ah, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, so I can do whatever I want. Like, I'm going to heaven, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Well, it's bad theology, first off. But secondly, it's a grace that's, that's really like spoiled kid's grace. Like the kind of grace where y- your daddy bought you a car and you didn't take care of it. You didn't appreciate it. That, that you were handed the family business and you run it into the ground because you don't understand the blood, sweat, and the tears that it took to start that business. The grace of God that leads to gratitude is a grace that we understand like, oh, it's free to me, but it costs everything. It's free to me, but it costs God everything. And listen, uh, grace isn't just for Christians. Understanding grace and gratitude isn't just for Christians. If you're, if you're like, hey, I'm not a Christian. I'm just checking out church because someone forced me here. Or someone invited me. Whatever reason, maybe you're full, full-blown atheist. There's still health and gratitude. Like there's a, 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 enough studies to help us understand that gratitude is really crucial. Well, because God made us that way, but also because it's clear. So maybe you're an atheist. And gratitude would change your perspective. If you looked at the Big Bang, because you're an atheist, you believe in the Big Bang, and it, you, you recognize an explosion gave you life billions of years ago, an explosion gave you life. And your perspective can be one of two things as an atheist. You can be like, well, this is stupid. Why am I even here? It doesn't even matter. There's nothing that even matters. Or, I got just a brief moment. Nothing matters. Like, it don't matter. I've been given just a brief moment. I didn't earn it. I didn't have it, right? That, that's, that's from a core root understanding of life. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you believe that something happened. Something in the universe, God spoke, gave us life. We were given life. We didn't earn it. If you're a Christian, we didn't reincarnate. We didn't believe that something took place and we did something really good in another life and we got this life. No, no, no. We were given life when we didn't deserve it. God granted us life. And if you're a Christian, what you recognize is that you came to the end of your rope and you realized, I messed this thing up. By definition, a follower of Christ recognized we're a sinner who messed this thing up. And you go, and then he gave me life again. No, no, he, he gave me life. I messed it up. And then he gave me life again. I was the spoiled brat who got the car. And I was doing donuts with it. And I was just driving around, acting the fool, playing with the radio, doing stuff. And I wrecked it. And my dad came to me and he was like, hey, I get it. I was a kid once. Don't do it again. But here's another car. And us as Christians are going to go, well, we got grace on grace. We didn't earn the car. We didn't earn the life. And then when we messed it up, he gave it to us again. The right perspective is grace on grace, right? An atheist just understands one level of grace. We as Christians understand two levels of grace. We messed it up, and he gave it to us again. And that grace, that root of understanding, like, I'm not going to mess this thing up, will will challenge you to wake up and be like, I'm loved, so I'll love. (laughs) I know how it ends, so I got joy. I got like deep joy because I understand gratitude. I understand what I've been given. Life is but a mist. Absolutely, I'm gonna grab onto every moment that he gives me in this short, brief life because I got joy and I've got peace because I know he's he's got it all figured out. 
I'm going to be gentle with people because God has been gentle with me, and I'm going to have self-control because I've been given something that I didn't earn or deserve, so I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do it right because I know what grace upon grace feels like. And for us as Christians to have that, I, I don't want you to just be like, let's go do it. Let's just go be, have grace. No, no, you need habits of grace in your life. And what's crazy for me is, like, this is as much for me as it is for you. Most of my sermons are really just me preaching to me, and you get to hear it. And I realized this week that, um, like, I keep coming back to this. Like, I get out of the habit. Like, I have habits of, of grace and gratitude, and I have this thing I do that helps me do it, and then I just stop doing it, and I'm wondering, like, what's going on? Oh, I got out of the habit of grace. I got out of the habit of gratitude. I got, a, I got out of the habits that, that I place in my life to stay in gratitude. So, like, this week, we, we had 41 people go public with their faith by getting baptized. 41. Yeah. like just a crazy record in attendance like people raising their hands after baptism to give their life just, just like a crazy weekend and I'm over here like I got stuff to do just what do we do Monday oh I got stuff to do I couldn't even slow down to value it shamefully I couldn't even just slow down and be like that was a good day I just had other things that need to be done two of my nieces and one of my nephews was in the pool getting baptized and I'm still doing all this stuff I felt like I was in a in a plane and there's a beautiful horizon there's I'm seeing the clouds I'm seeing the sunset I'm flying on this beautiful flight but I'm too busy tinkering with all the buttons and all the stuff to keep the plane flying instead of just stopping for a second and taking in the view and just going oh hold up (laughs) yeah we can we can worry about tomorrow tomorrow but today, I just want to soak in with gratitude what God gave us, what God did for us, what we got to be a part of, what I get to do in this life, who I get to be married to, uh, what kids I get to raise, the people that are around me, the pastors on my team. Like, hold up. The plane can glide for just a little while while you take a moment to check out the horizon and go, ah, God is good. That, to me, feeds the love, the joy, the peace. All the fruits are fed from that place of, like, I don't deserve it, and I'm so grateful for it. That feeds the thing. It's the nutrients. It's the sunlight. It's the dirt that it's, that it's buried into to produce all that it needs to produce. And again, let's get practical. You need routines that put you there. So I'm going to challenge you to do this. If this is you and you're like, all right, God, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give you a routine. For the next seven days, I want to challenge you for two to three times a day to practice gratitude. To have actively practicing gratitude for two to three times a day. You can do it when you when you wake up and when you go to bed you can do it right before each of your three meals you can do it more if you want but two to three times a day for seven days write down how you feel right now and then write down how you feel afterwards after the seven days is up you do it all see if it changes your perspective see if it changes and shifts some things if you you start to recognize whoo i thought those were problems those were opportunities that you start to practice gratitude in a way that lets you stop for a moment and catch the view and go oh god's been good so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a little bit uncomfortable because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the ways that I do gratitude, okay? And I'm going to ask you to put this in here. You can put it in your calendar. You can put it in your alarms, whatever you need to do to do this. And I'm going to give you what are called primers for your gratitude, all right? So we're going to get a little uncomfortable. And we're going to be real quiet. Everybody's going to be real quiet. And everybody to close your eyes. And we're going to practice gratitude for a moment. I'm going to walk you through it, okay? Everybody's eyes closed. Now just breathe. Everybody place your hand on your heart. Just take a couple breaths and recognize 
the beat of your heart. The heart that you didn't earn. The heart that you were born with. The heart that was given to you freely. Just focus on every beat that happens without you ever thinking about it. While you're asleep, while you're awake, this free heart that you were given keeps you alive. Take a deep breath. Breathe out. Focus on a life that you've been given. The lungs that are filling with air that happen every day by clockwork. And you barely notice the free oxygen, the lungs that work. Focus on the breaths that go in and out for just a moment. While you breathe, you're thankful for your heart. And you can say it out loud or say it to him in your head. Thank you, God, for this heart, for these lungs. I want you to focus on one or all of your five senses one at a time. Start with smells. Maybe you have a, a, a cup of coffee near you. You breathe that in and you smell just a moment. It reminds you of a memory maybe, the, the clothes you're wearing, the feeling of comfort that is surrounding you. Just focus on your senses, the, the things that you can feel, the things that you can hear, the quiet calm, and just be thankful that you're alive. Now I want you to think of one person. One person that you know that loves you. That one person that has your back. And for a moment, just be thankful. Man, just to have one person in our life that has our back, that wants what's best for us. <laughs> Some of you got way more than one. Lastly, I want you to think of one moment. One moment of sheer joy, sheer happiness. One moment in your life. Maybe it was a, a wedding day. Maybe it was a big moment. Maybe it was a kid being born. Maybe it was something really small. Just one moment. It was a quiet walk through the woods. And you just felt the cool air. And you could hear the, the, the leaves crumbling underneath your feet. Small or big. Just one moment where there was joy. And I want you to remember the smile that you felt. And I want you to just be thankful. Okay, you guys can look up at me. That, that just took us two to five minutes. That moment, I want you to do two or three times a day and just experience what God has for you. And what you're going to wake up to. You're going to wake up to that moment and go, ooh, I've got something that I didn't have. I've got a deeper love, a deeper joy, a deeper peace. And I, I believe you're going to get quiet enough in your soul. The gratitude root is also going to be a thing where you're going to hear the voice of God go, hey, I've been waiting on you. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't a problem at all. It's actually an opportunity. I, I've been waiting on you. Go hug your spouse. I've been waiting on you. You know, you know the right thing to do. Because all the best decisions come out of a place of gratitude. All the best things in life, all the fruits of the Spirit come out of a place of grace that leads to gratitude, where we live a life full of gratitude, where we go, ah, I get to do this. 
Oh, it might have been hard, but God is doing a new work in me. Yes, it was a difficult week, but it can't be worse than that week because God is about to do something new. That we can have a heartbeat that beats out of gratitude and lives. And here's the deal. It's not just for you. To live out of gratitude is not just for you. There are people around you that have been drinking in the anxiety of this world. They've been drinking in all the pain of this world, all the trauma in this world, and they're waiting on you to live a life of gratitude so that you can bear the fruit God has called you to bear. So then they walk close to you like, ooh, what was that? Where'd you get that? I've been drinking LaCroix my whole life. This is water? This is water without bubbles in it? That's what I'm talking about. Where'd you get that? How can I have more of what you got? That tastes fantastic. I've been in a hot, dry desert of life, and you show me what refreshing looks like. I don't know what your theology is. I don't know what you think or what you believe, but I want more of what you've got. Because your life is the refreshing drink that the world needs. And it all starts by living a life of gratitude. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.